Hey everyone, my name is Francisco, this is Latin Entertainment, and welcome to Conversamos. Today's episode is on Latinas in Higher Education. Join us as various Latinas share stories and their ongoing pursuit towards higher education in the U.S. We hope you enjoy this episode of Conversamos. Yeah, yo, is it that wrong? I'm making a song, I'm taking it back for the platform that I've formed. Music's helping me transform. I run the reservoir, the predator. I think my reasons have changed at every at every stage of my journey. Um, growing up, I didn't hear a lot of options, so I didn't have that understanding. All I knew was that I had to get a college and I had to go get a degree. Um, so I think that was like one of my biggest motivators was. For me, me metieron en la cabeza desde chiquita, right? Like, go to college because that's going to give you a better life. And everything else was like, all right, that's it. So I got there and I was like, wow, yes, I made it. I'm here. My, my life goal of going to college, right? Like, I'm doing it. And then I start hearing people like, what are you doing after? And I was like, oh, after, I don't know. Like, my whole life I've been working for this. Like, what's next? And then, you know, um, so, so it's changed at every phase. And then um, I started hearing people talk about like, well, you can get a PhD, you can go to law school, you can go to med school, you can get a master's, you can, there's different types of master's, different types of PhDs. And I was just like, I have no clue what any of this means. Um, so I said like, okay, well, what's my purpose, right? Like, I want to help people. I want to give back. So like, what's one way that I can do that? And that pushed me to get my... Uh, to get my master's because I wasn't ready for a PhD because I didn't have, right, like a lot of the experiences or research behind me that, that was required for, um, for one. And, and grades too, right? I struggled with grades being first generation and having to like learn the ropes um, myself. Um, so there was a lot of things I was like, okay, well, I'm not ready for a PhD. Let's do this first and see how it goes and like see if I like it. And in my head, I had a, a beautiful plan, right? Like, university, master's, PhD, then live my life. Um, doesn't work that way. <laughs> so I had to like kind of be okay with that and, and just go with the flow and be like, okay, well, I still want to pursue academia, but now it's for, um, because I love learning. Now it's because I want to give back in a different way. Or, and, and to be frank, at one point between my master's and my PhD, um, I worked full time because I needed a break and I wanted to take a step back and be like, do I really want to pursue a PhD or am I just doing it because that's what you're supposed to do? Um, so I took two years to like work full time and just give myself that time. And I realized that in the field that I have chosen and for the types of things that I want to do, I need to be in a certain position, positions of power because there's not Latinas in, in those positions of power. And in order to get to those positions of power for the certain spaces that I wanted to navigate or be in, I needed a PhD. So it wasn't like, it was more of like, I don't want to be the underdog following your directions. I want to be the one making the decisions and I want to be the one bringing different voices to the table to help me make those decisions. So it was about, okay, well, like, it's going to be hard. It's going to suck. I'm not going to love every part of it. But to get to where I want to be, I need it. So yeah, it's changed throughout. So I'm curious to hear what, what that looks like for all of y'all. Um, so same thing for me. It, 
growing up, it was like, you're going to go to college. You're going to go to college. And I don't, I don't know what that meant. And nobody in my family had gone to college before me. So when it was time to start thinking about going to college, you know, my family didn't know that. So my friends are starting to get acceptance letters our senior year of high school. I'm like, I haven't even applied to any colleges, which is, you know, I ended up at Northeastern, which everybody calls North Easy. That's fine because my North Easy, like they let me in, but it's not North Easy to graduate. So that's, you know, and it ultimately ended up being a fantastic experience. But when it came time to choose my major, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I was just kind of floating around in college, taking these gen eds, like, you know, not knowing how to navigate the system. So like you said, you, you have three options, three options that are pushed to you growing up, doctor, teacher, lawyer. I was like, well, I know I'm not trying to go to medical school and get all that debt or law school. So I guess I'll just go with teacher. So I went along the route and fortunately I ended up loving it. It's like truly, truly where I need to be. So as a teacher, I um, started working in a bilingual program right away because I am bilingual. Um, and I had, I had picked up a mentor by this time and she was like, you know, there's this master's program in bilingual education. You should check it out. And I did. And I, with, without her, I would not be where I am right now. But um, that ended up being a fantastic program that was so relevant to my role as a teacher. And I loved it. So I got my master's degree. And that, that was like four years ago. So now I, I find myself in a place where I really want to be in a leadership position because there are not many of us up there. And we need to be up there because our perspectives are necessary. Otherwise, people will not ever know what the challenges or experiences are like if we are not there to say it for them. So that is ultimately what led me to an ed D in leadership. Um, I, I went against the PhD because I know the PhD is a little more research focused and like about the, the questioning and the, and the why and the theory. Whereas an ed D is kind of more like action focused. And I have a very specific focus that I would like to look at which is, um, it intersects with all my interests, which is how bilingual education can be used as an avenue to increase achievement among non-English speakers, especially Latinas, because if we look at achievement measures, Latinas are near the bottom of every single one. Um, so that's, I guess, th those, that's why I'm here. That's what I'm trying to do is just be a leader and example for the future generations, make it better. So same with me. I basically, um, I was born in Mexico and we immigrated here to um, the States when I was nine. And it was always engraved in our head that we had to go to school. We had to have, um, even, you know, in the elementary school and high school, they, my dad especially, would always push us to do our best. And if we got that limit he's like go for the next thing and i realized that if it wasn't because my family background and my own initiative i wouldn't be here where i am today with my education um because it was really really hard i was i'm also the oldest and i think the main thing that, that made it hard is que nadie hablaba de esto. nobody talked about it um so anyways in a, since i talked a lot in a nutshell i ended up going to uh, portland community college um, it was, there's a campus como a 45 minutes de aquí. Um, again, I didn't have papeles, so I had to ride the bus, get up super early, just made it happen. Um, and 
once I got to the community college, I knew I wanted to be a nurse. And so I got the paper that said all the prerequisites and I started working with it. Many advisors told me, and this is 2008, 2009, 2011, 10, 11. Many advisors they told me, don't go to school to be a nurse. You're never going to do it because you don't have papeles. And they discouraged me. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to get this associates. And with this associates, I'll get my prerequisites in. In case I'm any, in case I'm ever able to go back, I almost did everything, right? So entonces, I got my associates on a transfer degree. I think it was Associates of Arts. And I transferred over to Portland State University. Yes, they, I was, I was going to do the closest thing to being a nurse which was public health degree that they had. And um, en eso pasó lo de DACA in, in 2012. Entonces, I decided that I would finish my year at PSU because um, I had a scholarship. So I'm like, I'm not going to give this away. Like, I'm not going to be this dumb. Y entonces, este, I ended up doing other prerequisites for nursing there. I piggybacked. And um, I ended up coming back to PCC because it was cheaper. A community college, same classes for the same prerequisites, and I did them. I finished it, y gracias a Dios, I applied to get in the nursing program, finally got in, and then I graduated. And there was only like less than 10 of us who were minorities, people of That's color. Cool. At first, I was scared to even try to do like an actual major. That's why I started taking photos, also because for my mental health. So uh, if you look at my Instagram, I'm a photographer on the side, besides school. So um, at first I was like, well, I'll try film. And um, I, once I reached UC Irvine, I realized that I actually like actual school. I never even bothered with actual school when I was in high school because high school was not really meant for us. Like, I feel like the education system is not there to help us. The, our, our staff was mostly predominantly white. Um, they don't understand the kids in the, my and where we grew up. Like, so I was like, I, I, in high school, I just didn't feel like it was like a. I don't know. They never ex told us. They didn't even tell us that community college was a route. I remember they looked at us like, oh, um, you're not gonna, you're just gonna like go into the workforce. You're not even going to school. So they only congratulated those kids that made it straight out of college to a four-year college. And they didn't even let us know that we even had an option to go to community college and then transfer. And I guess that's another reason because I want to be that person that helps out the kids who feel like they don't have another option, have an option. Because I was that kid. And now that I, I am at UC Irvine, a lot of my friends followed and a lot of my cousins followed. And now I have, I actually have a cousin that is a nursing major and she went back. And now she, even though she has two kids, she just graduated, she's about to transfer. And yeah, like I, a lot of people followed. This is when they see one person, they kind of, you know, have this information available to them. I chose, now that I, I didn't even know what sociology was before. Now that I'm at UC Irvine, I do know what it is. And I feel like I really like that because you get to learn about people's life and about different ethnic cultures and stuff and i guess i would want to continue doing research and as a photographer i would want to combine the two and maybe do like documentaries in the future or something um for my chicanex latinx studies same concept i would want to expand and 
do some sort of research. Um, for example, at UC Irvine, I'm trying to do research on mass incarceration right now because I just don't like cops. <laughs> I dealt with them too much when I was younger. And yeah, um, it shows that we can thrive. It's just that the system has to give us an, a chance and yeah. Perfect, thank you all for responding and such honesty. So with our next question, what have you grown the most while pursuing your degrees? Before I answer, like, I want, I want to just emphasize what everyone has shared and like, it's so different. Um, but at the same time, there's so many similarities in our journeys. Um, so yeah, for our next question, like, what have I grown the most in while pursuing my degrees? Um, I think mostly as a person. Um, as a person and finding myself, right? Because I think it, it, in, for me, I feel that within my family, there's certain expectations. Within academia, there's another set of kind of clashing expectations. Um, so having to navigate those two spaces and those two worlds really pushed me to kind of like go in and question like, myself and like well what do i believe in what do i stand for um and gracias a dios you know that i had parents that were supportive and and, and supportive in the sense of allowing me to ask those types of questions and allowing me to explore what i believed in instead of just taking what they believed in at face value throughout every step of my journey i've just learned to one really embrace the cultural capital that I bring into academia. A lot of times people might make, want to make you feel like inferior or less than because we're Latinas, because we, we might come from low income communities. Not all Latinas come from low income communities, but you know, there's so many intersectional identities um, because they make, because we're bilingual and maybe we are not so fluent in English. Um, because our style of writing is different, because how we dress, you know, we're being judged on everything about it. But for um, me, I chose that I didn't want to be this person outside of acad academia and this other person within the walls of academia. It's still me, you know. Um, so what that looks like for me, it's like in los pasillos de las universidades, de las conferences or whatever, you're going to hear me talking in Spanish and English. You're going to hear me making jokes. Um, maybe I won't curse as much as I do with family, but the same personality, the same character is consistent, I think. Um, and, and that has been the biggest, I think, growth that I've seen in myself. Um, and kind of being like, no, you don't get to tell me that where I come from and what I stand for is a deficit. I bring something to the table. And I think one of y'all said it earlier is, you know, they need our perspectives in those positions of leadership. Um, and that's something that I keep bringing to the forefront and, and trying to be shameless about it. But like, Yeah, I would agree. Um, just grown as a person, really. And I don't know if I can necessarily credit my degrees or my career experience because, man, let me tell you, working as a teacher, nationally, 83% of teachers are white women. Here in the very wealthy suburb that I work in, 
92% of the teachers are white women, okay? I am one of two Latina teachers. Mind you, the second Latina teacher, she just, she just came into the school this past school year. So um, <laughs> I don't know what that has to do with anything, but I think, I think that my degrees have helped me in the sense that um, I can back up what I'm saying with data. Um, and I hate when people say this, but I sound a lot more articulate and intelligent and knowledgeable on the subject because of the knowledge that I acquired with my degrees, which should not be what gives me credit for being able to speak on systemic racism. But nonetheless, you know, white people love their credentials. So I like to have that. Um, yeah. And, and just growing confident over the years. And I'm not going to lie. A lot of that came because I'm a tenured teacher now. So it's a lot harder for them to fire me, but like, just growing confident and, and learning, learning my environment and learning how to use my voice to speak up and, and learning how to navigate the workplace, which you wouldn't think is that hard, but man, it's the hardest part. Um, my degrees along with my life experience, you know, it goes hand in hand in my growth because I would not have been able, I, I wouldn't be where I am without those degrees, but without my growth, I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have the confidence to have finally applied to that ed program so um so with the next question how much of what you learned from academia is being applied to your field i'm pursuing a phd which is heavily research focused but there's different types of research right there's clinical there's community there's um there's so many different types and i think for me one way that i see myself making a impact closer to what I would like um, is doing more policy relevant research. Um, so for me, that's more right, like, okay, where is there a need in a community? It could be at the neighborhood level, the city level, state level, national level. Um, what do we know, right? Like using research and theory and frameworks and prior evidence and all of that to try to get the best understanding as possible coming up with either um, research questions that can help us learn more of what we don't know or pilot um, programs, interventions, community services, so different, different policies um, or programs that can potentially fill that need and then trying to determine how well it actually served the community's needs. Um, this in school, so not, I think something, again, like what I learned as I, you know, grow and as I continue to progress through, through the academic pipeline is that no todo lo que te dicen en la escuela is true. Y no todo lo que te dicen is from an objective perspective, right? Or like the only way to do something. Um, and I think that's just like so important because I'm like, growing up, it's like, well, I read que blah, 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 you know? But then it's like, what theories are you reading? Who created the theories? White, old, rich men. So you're learning from these white, old, rich men who like, quien sabe, you know? Yeah. I see Marissa, yeah. There you go, Marissa, yeah. Well, I just wanted to say que, like, I learned to question things. Like, it's the, like find out how to get answers and navigate. Because my program, I think there were all white ladies. So all, so my 
program, all the instructors, I think there was there were all white except one was a person of color, pero este. And so sometimes when they would educate us, there was a moment where she, one instructor kind of was unconsciously racist. And so you, you know, obviously like already, como dices tú, like no te puedes confiar de todo lo que te dicen. Like, yes, you're learning. And then you're also going to question what they say and then learn how to get your own information. And este, pero también este, when she was on, I think she was unconscious because she was very sweet, but what she said was very racist. And, um, and I don't think she realized it was very racist. And so when you see things like that, también te hacen pensar like, oh, this is who I'm learning with, you know, like this is her perception. Um, she has said something along the lines that, um, that like the Mexicans weren't as smart as like white people and and she was like given a story and she kind of if you listen to her like that's what I've heard you know she didn't say that but that's kind of what she said and so then it's like of course like when una maestra somebody that you're supposed to be learning for from says something like that it's also like another sign de lo que dices to like like this is who I'm learning from like she I can also stop her and tell her like hey this story that you just said is very racist and because they have their own bias because they you know especially if they're white you know they lived in this white privilege that sometimes you know they just kind of swam through that maybe they don't mean to be racist but it's it's, it's there and that's something que, que I'm glad that we're talking about it more now because it's it's just embedded in all of our culture so it's 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 important for us to remember locations too like this is who we're learning from they're gonna have their own bias and Hopefully, you know, it's, um, we can let them know that, you know? What I want to say is just because somebody's nice doesn't mean that they're not racist. Some of the nicest people are racist. It's not always their fault because like you said, we are raised in this system of whiteness and literally everything around us is built because of old rich white men. Um, so people don't know they're being racist whatever that, that doesn't excuse them they should pick up a book or google it or something but whatever um yeah and so i just have a lot of feelings about this because ever since like the protests and i work in a very like i said affluent white area and they got all the thoughts and now i'm in i'm leading the racial equity and inclusion team and i'm doing a book study with the book white fragility and they can't even get past the title so that's, that's where we're at right now. Um, so it's hard for me. Um, so yeah, as far as systems built for white men, I mean, these institutions were never meant for us to be successful and they weren't even necessarily meant for white women to be successful in them. So just the fact, our existence is our resistance. I'm telling you, like, our, our education is our activism. Like, we are surpassing anybody's expectations of us. Um, now, I'm sorry, I'm going to focus back on the question. So how much of what I learned in academia is being applied in the field? Well, honestly, everything, I like to think that a lot of the things that I picked up in my education, I'm applying to the field um, because I took a lot of classes in creating multicultural classrooms, you know, teaching diverse students, teaching, uh, teaching English to speakers of other language, all sorts of things. So I like to apply all of those things in my classroom. 
How much do I see it being applied across the board? Very minimal. For me, um, my program was basically um, to think like a nurse. And initially it didn't make any sense, but once I got on the floor, it made perfect sense. Um, so I think that aspect, it was really good. It made us think like a nurse, focus on acuity and what's going on, see the full picture. Um, it's obvious that we, we did it. Pero I do want to say this. I ended up working for a health clinic that was federally qualified. And a lot of the stuff that we did there, we didn't learn at school. Meaning there was a lot of cultural stuff that either the clinic would show us, but because I am a person of color and I did navigate this system um, as an immigrant, I also have that experience. So it was easier for me to connect with my patients on my personal experience. And also because the clinic is the, you know, between the nurses and stuff, we would talk about scenarios and what we would do and how we would help them, you know, economically or, you know, whatever. Um, but actually that is what makes me sad about this thing. Okay? In school, we focus on thinking like a nurse, figure out that the patient is safe, you know, making sure that we're not sharing, you know, patient information, like all that, all that stuff, like we learned. Pero we didn't learn about, you know, if somebody comes in your clinic and they need insulin and they don't have any money, like what are we going to do? And so that is, I think, and I think this is why I'm trying to change my nursing into now that I lost my job, right? And that I'm in the situation where like, what do I do? I've been really thinking about how do I use my nursing, but use it in a community where this is what I know that I'm really passionate about. Porque, I mean, I saw it, like, de que me sirve to see a patient at the clinic? And I told them, okay, this is your insulin and this is what you need. If then they're going to leave and they don't know how to pay for it or they're not going to understand. So I've, I'm, I don't know. I really need to figure out how to make this happen because I am really passionate about like going to that person's house because I couldn't go to their house, you know, like as a nurse, but I would be really passionate to go like what I would envision that I want to do is like go to their house and teach them all this stuff at home and with their families and be more culturally appropriate. You know what I mean? And so Thank you. And Marissa, you kind of bring up an interesting point um, that I like to, how, how can um, academia be more community centered? And the reason and why so I, I think uh, we need more of that. And, and I think, uh, you know, we, more of us need to be involved in that. But también, like, they also need to be able to, you know, because I, this is like, I don't know if you guys had thought this stuff, but something that really annoys me is the academia will use our faces for their pamphlets. Come to the school, come to the school. But really, what are they doing to make us go to that school? Because they make it really, really hard, I'll tell you that. I feel that in sense of, like, as a college student right now, I think they have to, like, give us more resources because there are no resources at UC Irvine whatsoever for us. And also, um, the way that the school is set up and the way, the things that they that they give money to. my The UC system is just, the, the other funding goes to cops. Um, they even funded the the Mauna Kea mountain to like take it off from in Hawaii and they don't even give money to their grad students to who are the ones who grade our work. So I, I feel like the funding, they have to give it to more students of color and if they want us to succeed, but they don't want to. 
also on that those meritocracy ideals that we all have the same route but that um for uh, that we all have the same route to get here it's not true we have a more rigid route than white students do or like privileged students do so i think the ideals such as those should like be acknowledged by the school um also who they hire is very important because my the chica next at the next apartment at uc irvine is actually the head is a white man and it's like why is a white man the head of the chica next at the next apartment um i don't understand but yeah i think that's also very important to acknowledge and yeah those are a few things that i feel that i was just gonna say the white man is in charge of the chicanx program because people of color ain't got the credentials to be there because they set it up that way so that we wouldn't be there so that's why it's so important for you to continue your program because they make all these crazy like expectations and certifications needed what do you need you are literally from the community what more do you need so we right have to be a part of creating a system where not only can minoritized students get into um, higher education but actually complete higher education in a timely manner where their level of debt is decreased where their opportunities for success after their degree is heightened and where their mental well and physical well-being is still intact right because it's not just about like there's a lot of hispanic serving institutions we have so many latinx and hispanic students but then when you look at their graduation rates no es igual they're not graduating at the same rates that they're coming in so they're not doing what the systems are not in place to make sure that they are successful in that program and thus they are hurting their chances of being successful once they leave that program. So that's like one thing, right? Like it's not just about like, we support diversity. No, how? In, in a day to day, what are you doing to support that diversity? And like I think Yesenia mentioned too, right? Like you need to have these programs and services available. Um, and, that, and, and that's not to say like, you need to hand us the help Somos chingones, somos cabrones, we're hard workers. We can get this shit done. Sorry, we're not supposed to curse. <laughs> but like, you know, it's, it's about changing the system. And, and it, you're right, Athena, it's not set up for us. Um, and this is why we're fighting for these things because what do they all say? Community colleges in California have this like stereotype of being for certifications and technical degrees and vocational degrees. Cal States have this um, stereotype of being very teacher or teaching oriented, student centered. So like the professors there focus more on their students, they're more available, they have more um, training and pedagogy. But like UC is just like, oh, the, that's the research institution, right? Like faculty are not trained to be efficient or effective teachers necessarily. They're trained to be scholar uh not scholars researchers right so like there's different types of institutions so different types of institutions are going to need different changes to be more community oriented depending on the community that they're in i have a question for um athena este if so in my community um my daughter's you know she's gonna she's seven so she's gonna start well she's been playing soccer 
And so now with the with the Black Lives Movement, um, the president, you know, sh she's white. Um, she kind of wants to be more of an ally. So she invited me to do the diversity outreach. I mean, so, you know, of, of course I'm excited because I think they're all white on the board. So, you know, I'll be one of the only Mexicanas. Pero how can I get them involved without being, making them, without being rude? Like that's, a, I don't, I can't think Honestly, get to know your board before you start pushing initiatives. Don't reveal yourself to them <laughs> until they reveal yourself, themselves to you. If you know what I'm saying, like, don't go out there like, all right, this is what we're going to do. Black Lives Matter. Y'all are racist. We got to do this. We got to do that. Don't do that because you will come in so far above their head that you will disengage them. Learn who they are first. Learn who maybe your real allies could be and then start with that group. You know what I mean? So something that I've been saying in my school district is I am no longer willing to go at the pace of those who are most resistant. It is time we move at the pace who are the, with those who are most willing to do the work because we can't afford to keep going at that slow pace. If we continue to move at that pace, we're never going to progress. So I'm so sorry that you were put in that position, but at the same time, like, I'm sorry, I was going to swear. Um, it's empowering. You know, you have a seat at the table. Unfortunately, it's the diversity seat. We deserve other seats at the table. Um, be careful and let them reveal themselves first. Let them show their ass first and you wait. And I did say ass, yes. I mean, it's all right. It's all, right. Uh, <laughs> all right, so with, with, with our fi final question, um, I have to just read it again. Yeah, so I really liked how everyone really talked about, like, you know, the, the disparities upon race and ethnicities. So, so for now, our next question is, if so, how have you experienced patriarchy or gender disparities while navigating and higher education? Once I got into higher education, uh, ways that I experienced that, machismo or patriarchy, um, in different levels, right? Like, at, from student to student, like los, los males in my classrooms. Well, for one, I have to say, like, I'm in a, major, in a field where the majority of us are females um, or present, are female presenting. Um, so there's not that many males, but the ones that are there can be very, um, can contribute to a lot of those issues, right? By talking, yeah, I don't know, I just, there's like so many, like macro system, right? The theories we're learning, the things, the skills that we're being told we need, and then all the way to the bottom, like within the classroom and within your family, um, of like, no, pues, ¿cuándo te vas a casar? You've been in school so long. When are you going to get, when are you going to have kids? When, like all of these different expectations. Um, and then also in, in academia, right? Like faculty or males or other people or other males. And, you, you know, I think women can also be machista. Um, so it, it's not only from males that you're getting these messages, but it's like, I've heard it from white women too, who are supposed to be, right, guiding me and supporting me well, you better not do this or that because then you're going to end up pregnant and you're going to drop out and da, 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 da. as if getting pregnant is the worst thing, as if that's the end of life. It is not. Like 
all, you know, and, and it's, yeah, it's in a lot of different ways. And policing how we dress, uh, how much makeup, even like with other, other women, right? Like when I was going to PhD application um, interviews, I realized I was like, oh my God, todas estas, you know, white women are like super casual, super, super casual. But then all the Latina applicants, hella clean makeup hair nice and done like business suit to a t like and and but but still at least for me there were still instances where i felt like i'm not enough um i can definitely relate with that casual thing because like as a teacher uh you know, I know, I know the role that I play, right? And I know that I know that all my little brown boys and girls and all the white kids are looking at me, right? Um, so I dress professionally because that's that's me. Uh, my white coworkers are so casual, and it blows my mind. Uh, don't know what that's about. I guess you know when you got all the privilege and the comfort, you just show up to work however you want. Um, I would say that for me. I still feel like race has been the biggest factor of impact um, in my experience. Um, but that is not to say that I haven't noticed that all the top administrative positions are held by men, um, at least at the K-12 level. And then when we move into higher education, there are less white women as instructors and many more white men as instructors and at the top. Um, Again, systems that were not built for us, but were built for those people. Um, truth be told, I, I, I um, didn't feel, maybe I'm just ignorant to it, but I didn't feel incredible or experience incredible disparities um, in gender when I was going through my, when, as I'm going through my higher ed experience, because actually most of my instructors are women. Um, but I, I mean, I'm noticing general patterns everywhere else, but like, yeah, most of my instructors have been women, uh, which is actually really cool. Uh, mostly white women, but still women. Um, yeah, I don't, I guess I don't have a whole lot to contribute to this. Uh, I will say that, um, when I told my mother that I was starting a doctorate program, she was like, oh, so you're not going to have kids for another few years. And I was like, okay, mom, almost anyone with a uterus can have a baby, but did you know that less then 2% of Latinas hold a doctorate degree, but you know, she didn't care about that. Uh, so there, there's always that. Uh, and going to nursing school, I think I had males and females, um, but I think they were all white también. And in nursing school, they were all females, white, I think except for one. Um, so I didn't see that. It didn't affect me as much as like the race and mm -hmm culturally and that i think that's always affected me a little bit more but i will say that as much i will say though i do agree with maritza where the male nurses were definitely like there was only a few males in our class and they were definitely outspoken um they were definitely you know masai i did have i do have a story where there was a time where i was at clinical and there was a male and me and the instructor I had to do wound care on a patient and I knew what to do on the wound care how to um, shape the um, the gauze but the male student was like no no no, no. you got to do this you got to do it this way 
And I was like, oh, okay, whatever, I'll try it. I didn't realize I was being submissive. But um, the teacher then took him out of the patient's room and was like, why are you interfering with Marisa's um, wound care? Like she made a decision and she was doing it right. And then she came up to me and she was like, don't you ever let anybody change your uh, process. Like you were doing it perfect and you had to listen to him. And so I'll always remember that, you know, it's the, and I don't know why I listened to him. I don't know if it was because I'm like, okay, whatever. Or because, you know, he was just very like, do it this way. You know, he was an older white male. También. So, you know, I have my, my ignorance moments too. So, you know, that's it. Um, as for me, I feel like what y'all said already about, um, there's like male students who do try to like speak over women a lot, especially in spaces like an org like organization spaces that are already student led. So we have to deal with that. And also on top of dealing with the male students who like try to take space already. Um, on terms of professors, it's been like kind of like it's been like kind of like um balance, but I I have had machista professors before in the Chica Next like the next department especially. Um in terms of like there's one professor who he actually let made us read a book by a by this author who is was um who was who they said that he was sexually assaulting women and a lot of people called out this professor and he just doesn't want to stop like teaching his his book and i think a lot of people got really upset over that and yeah they don't they still haven't listened um as well as like when girls speak up about their experiences at like, for example, college parties and like professors, like um, not professors, I mean, male students try to like take advantage. Like, I think there's been a couple of girls who have not gotten any sort of justice for it. Um, that is something that goes on around the education, like in the college system a lot. I've seen like documentaries on it that like girls speak up and, you have these guys who just continue. They don't have any sort of punishment. They make it to them, especially when it comes to like sports, like men, like guys who like play sports, things like that. That is like a big one. Um, yeah, besides that, I feel like, yeah, sometimes you do feel like belittled a lot by in terms of like, of like um, misogyny and stuff, but it also does come a lot with like culture. Like I did see it growing up on top of that. So, yeah. I wanted to add to a couple of things that y'all brought up. Um, I noticed that we're all in non-hard science STEM fields with the exception right? like nursing, that's hardcore. Um, so it's like, oh, like, you know, like Athena dijiste, most of my professors have been female. But it's also the field we're in. And I think like even at a, at a, on a different level, the way we experience gender disparities is in the careers that we're funneled into. Because like, it, we have a choice, but in a lot of ways, again, it's the system and how it's built and how we're we're funneled and how we're encouraged or discouraged from certain fields because we're women um, and because we're uh, women of color. Um, like, you know, and, and I also have, uh, I've been in a long-term relationship 
but I didn't take the rap, you know, like I'm one of the few in my family who are not married and who don't have kids. So it, they always joke about how our kids are going to be babies when their kids are like, you know, adults or teens or whatever. Um, and then there's always these little side comments about, you know, well, you're just a student or, but they don't realize that it, I'm not just a student, that it's a career, that I'm actually working, I'm not just taking classes um, and all these things. And, and then it comes like these pay, right? Like, well, who makes more? Who makes more? So like who has more power, right? Within the household, who has there's these power dynamics. And like, well, entonces like, you know, hazle desayuno or like tienes que limpiar or like this or that, you know, like they want to impose their gendered expectations of work-life balance onto others in the family, including myself. Um, so that's always been a constant battle, right? Of, like, of, um, so that's something that I also like, um, I don't have kids of my own, but because of that, I, I face a lot of backlash. Like, tú que sabes, tú no eres mamá. Or like, you know, like, no let, you know, don't be giving your ideas to, to my wife or like, you know, like, ah, you're making my kid a sissy or whatever, you know, like these different things. Those are gendered also, right? Like you don't want your wife to have different ideas from yours and you want to impose gender norms on your kids. So you're upset when someone else is coming in and disturbing that. Um, so yeah, those are different ways that academia has helped me kind of break those también. Como dices tú, like me being a mom to my daughter and not telling her that que no de abrazos. I learned that through going to school by reading and like just like finding out different stuff and talking to different people. If I never done that, I maybe would have been just as a, I would have maybe, I think we all have our own biases, you know, and I think I, I would have just done the same thing and my, you know, everybody else tells me that I should do. Este, pero I challenge myself every day to unlearn, como dices, to unlearn some of the stuff and learn, you know, the right way para que ella no crezca con tantas, este, um, expectations and gender roles and all that stuff. Um, so I am thankful that I went through school the way that I did. Pero if I can do it again, you know, if I had papeles, I think it would have been really nice to maybe do something else in the in the field and then just get better feelings for it. Yes, and then truly decide what I wanted to do. I think of being a nurse, este, it was in a way like the easiest thing to see myself as a woman. So I do agree with that, que, que even choosing the degree that we chose, este, it, it does have to do an NSO. And then really quick, going back on the, se the second thing that you said about um, how you get, how people te dicen like you, I forgot what word you said, but basically um, when it comes to family and how they like say comments, I. Yo también, I'm the oldest in my family. My daughter's the only grandchild in my, in my side of the family. There's, I, have four, I have three siblings, so there's four of us. And she's the first child in her, her dad's. And her dad is also the oldest. And so when she was born, I did not put earrings on her, like everybody in our culture does. And I've been challenging my family and his family ever since she was born. And it's not easy being the first one to actually put that into what you're doing and trying to break all that normal, you know, culturally um, expectations, especially gender expectations. 
So I will have to say that I agree with you on that. It's probably been one of my biggest struggles is to try to navigate being a mom and then being a mom within my family and my friends. And then in esta sociedad, there's, we get, no dicen muchas cosas, like, no hace sentir mal, but we just have to keep pushing, you know? With that said, that is all the time that we have. Thank you, Evan, for joining us. Make sure you like the video, subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on all our social media outlets at Latin underscore entertainment, and our website where we center the Latin American diaspora on Abiyala at www.latinentertainment.org. Tune in next week for another episode of Conversamos. Yeah, yo, is it that wrong? I'm making a song, I'm taking it back for the platform that I formed. Music's helping me transform. I run the reservoir, the predator.